Hi, I'm Jay Thedigan. Welcome to Foodie Time, where we talk with interesting people about food, wine, drinks, cocktails, cooking, you name it. If it tastes good, we want to talk about it. Today, we're going to be talking with a great guy, not coincidentally, one of my oldest and dearest friends, Jonathan Alsop. Jonathan is the creator of the Boston Wine School. He's an educator, he does tour guides, he's an author, he's been published in national magazines, newspapers, he's uh, got his own book, which is fabulous, The Wine Lover's Devotional. Really interesting read, a lot of fun. Um, and John is going to talk with us today about wine and his wine experiences. And why don't we um, start with a little bit of a backstory? Let me hear okay. what that. You know, I, I kind of um, laughingly referred to it as, you know, moonshine to champagne, but <laughs> I thought that you'd get a kick out of that. <laughs> but if you could uh, tell me a little bit about your, uh, your, your where and how you got here. Sure. Um, well, the first time that I ever had an opportunity to write about wine was back in 1988. Um, I had started life as a corporate speechwriter. Um, speeches, scripts, sales meetings, trade shows, stuff like that. We we did a lot of that work together, the two of yeah. us. And I was writing this sales meeting for Data General. It was happening in Hawaii, and it was all of the international um, offices. Mm -hmm. And the Australia, New Zealand wing of the company decided that they wanted to do an Australia, New Zealand wine and food night. You know, you, you know the different um, divisions, they host different events during these sales meetings and conventions and stuff. And I was writing everything else. So my bosses essentially just said, um, hey, writer boy, um, you're, <laughs> you're writing the rest of this stuff, write this too. And so this was all Australian, New Zealand wine. Um, and I began to research it. And, you know, being 1989, there really were not any Australian, New Zealand wines in the U.S. yet. Right. So I'm trying to research this and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really not making any headway because it's just something that we don't have and can't get. Mm -hmm. I contacted the client. I said, hey, I'm, I'm you know, this is what's happening. Um, you know, this is the challenge I'm facing. And he said, nope. He said, you know what? No problem. I'm going to, um, I'm shipping some stuff to, to headquarters this week. And I'm going to put, we, you know, we know what wines we're bringing. I'm going to put a couple of bottles of each wine there. And then you'll just, you know, you'll just taste them and you'll just write about them yourself. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I was saying to myself, how, what, what you know what do you write how do you write how do you you know I, how do you write about wines and the client says um client says oh you've you've read those wine magazines it's just a bunch of just a bunch of incomprehensible gibberish <laughs> magical mystery tour mashup <laughs> you'll, you'll be fine and when he said that i i realized in fact he was right i would be fine mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of things i can't do but i can definitely do that um, and a couple of weeks later, this box uh, showed up in my in my office. Um, one of the funny things was that the guy who shipped it, like he he wrapped it in like toxic nuclear waste tape, you know, like da danger radio, at, you know, it was wrapped in all of these warning, um, uh, you know, so no one would get into it and pilfer it or mess with it or anything. Mm -hmm. um, Strangely, they did still brought it to my office, so I 
<laughs> came into work one day and my colleagues are like hey um, well it wasn't the first time right I was just... <laughs> <laughs> that we'd had toxic substances yeah. indeed indeed um <clears throat> so i had a party invited some people over you were there mm -hmm. um, some other colleagues were there friends who i thought knew something about wine um and that was the first time i ever uh, tasted wine i mean i tasted wine before but that was the first time i'd ever tasted it technically Mm -hmm. or, or paid really paid attention to it to uh, to get something out of it then, then i was going to turn around and have something to say about you know even if it was just two or three sentences on a little tent card um and you know um at this point no one had been introduced to the concept of spitting wine um, at a wine tasting right um and i remember it you know at the end of the night i was i was lying in bed and you know, one, one hand on the floor and one hand on the ceiling, kind of stabilizing myself. <laughs> and um, I thought to myself, wow, this is really, th these wine people aren't the unbearable turds that everyone thinks they are. I mean, <laughs> I know, so, okay, I know, I know, I know who you're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, but it was very different than what I thought. It was much more interesting. Um, there was stories behind stories behind, you know, stories of why these, why these, wines that are you know genetically identical and from genetically identical grapes how they how they taste so incredibly distinctly verifiably identifiably um different so uh move forward a little bit um you know after uh you then went to form the uh, in vino veritas and the boston wine yes. school and you know yes. how, did, how did all that uh, come about well i started <laughs> Well, so I started. Uh, um, uh, Shall we age ourselves and tell tell everyone how you used to distribute the uh, in vino veritas? Oh yeah, through a fax modem. <laughs> I, had a, I had a I had a fax mailing list, and I would distribute my wine column every week in the middle of the night. Um, <laughs> people who didn't have dedicated fax lines didn't appreciate that, um, but the people who did, you wake up and there would be you know a, whatever a seven hundred and fifty word column. Um, coming out of your coming out of your fax machine and and soon to fade on that thermal paper it was very ethereal <laughs> um yeah so i started writing about wine i started freelancing um articles about wine um you know as as closed and as rigid as the wine world seems and it and it is mm -hmm. um it, it it's simultaneously also wide open so that if you come in and just say, hey, you know, like I did, just said, hey, you know, I'm Jonathan, the wine writer. Teach, teach me everything. Start at the beginning. Don't leave anything out. People are people are people are stoked to do that. Right. Um, they you know, they they want to share their story. They want to talk about what makes their wine special, what makes their what makes their vision uh, different. You know, but when you go there, you know, what you're writing about is the processes that are going on. The, the, you know, what's going on in that barrel, right? You know, when a wine is aging in oak. You know, Bill, um, Bill Russell, whom <clears throat> we both know from Westport Rivers down yeah. in southern um, coastal Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. He would talk, he, he one time talked about how, you know, every day he would taste his barrels to see where they were at. And, you know, one day he would taste his barrels and they would taste fantastic. And he would say, I'm a genius, right? Mm -hmm. This tastes great. And then, he'd, he'd, and then he'd have a great couple of three days 
And then you come back and taste all these barrels again. And from the last time you tasted, they would taste like crap. <laughs> and you would say, oh, no, I've, you know, I've ruined, I've ruined, I've ruined everything. There'll be no money for anyone. And then you'd have like a few really bad days and then come back and taste it. And then it would taste okay again. You, you know, mm -hmm. it goes yep. through, it, it goes through changes before it's really finished wine. And, uh, you know, needless to say, emotionally, Bill would go through mm. those changes too, depending on, um, depending on if his wine was having a good day or not. <laughs> and know? this takes me, and this is just exactly where it, it takes me to the next, uh, you started really exploring wineries and winemaking up close. Uh, in New England, yes, I mean, the, yes, that there, there was, there, there was, and still is an active uh, wine uh, a group of people uh, yes. who were very successfully making lots of uh, different wines. Well, so, so back in the back in the eighties, nineties, there were maybe you know a half dozen wineries in Massachusetts. Today, there are dozens. Mm. It is, it is, you know, larger by a factor of easily by a factor of five, you know, than it was thirty um 30 years ago mm -hmm. um and i was i was actually thinking about this the other day um because you know the these were people who had just made wine a few times explain what that means i well, mean if the if the if the the vines are producing grapes then and and you've had a year two years three years of, uh, that's 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 the amount of times you make yes yes you, you can only make wine once a year you know, here you are in New England, you plant this new vineyard, five, five, six, seven years later, you've got grapes, you're ready to make into wine. Mm -hmm. You know, five years later, you've only made wine five times in, right. in terms of what you can learn about what you want to do and how you want to change the direction of what you want to do. I mean, I always think about, I always think about it like, um, um, you know, uh, my grandson brought me a drawing and my, my three and a half year old grandson brought me a drawing that he did. Mm -hmm. and, you know, it was a drawing of a cat. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, you know, let's be honest. That was the worst drawing of a cat I think I've ever seen in my, I mean, it didn't, <laughs> any, it didn't, look, it didn't look anything like a cat, right? <laughs> it looked like someone who had only drawn a cat a few times mm -hmm. was drawing that, right. which is, which is that was the situation, you know, but I don't say to my three and a half year old grandson, I don't say, wow, you know, I just got to be honest with you. This, this is crap. <laughs> really and amateurish. And you should and you should stop. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of the so a lot of the wines that I was tasting um, in, you know, in New England and within driving distance of Boston, you know, these were people who had made wine three, four or five, you know, Maybe ten, maybe ten times. Mm -hmm. Some of them, and um, and and you know, it showed. Um, it showed they were not where they wanted to be or where they were trying to get yet, because it just takes more time. It just takes more time. It takes more time to get there. And not even just the making of the wine, but the growing of the grapes and knowing how to because they were many of them were here were were working with their own. With their own yeah. grapes or in a yes. lot of cases too there was certainly a lot of uh, and still is a, a huge uh, fruit and wine right. uh, uh, business and some right. of which is is excellent uh in my opinion oh, yeah. Yeah. i'm not a big well, fruit wine lover but uh well and, and also you know while people are planting vineyards and making vineyards and wineries in the ground 
is a huge semi underground Italian, European, Mediterranean, Portuguese community that is getting grapes from California and is making a ton of wine mm -hmm. that no one ever sees because it's all it's all home it's all home consumption. Right. Um, so when we talk about these, you know, when we talk about these wines, we're really talking about the vineyards and wineries that people were trying to establish. And, you know, like I said, um, you know, I'm, I'm tasting a lot of stuff that, um, you know, you would say it tastes really, really interesting and you never tasted anything like it before. <laughs> interesting, like, interesting, like when you take your parents to a restaurant they hate. And they say, "Oh, that was interesting." Um, I always said, I, I always, you know, uh, think of it as like, you know, do you think that they meant it to taste like this? Is well, it was this was this where they were headed, or you know what I mean? You know, I, I mean, I, I mean, I remember a couple of times because because here it's New England, short growing season, cold spring. Mm -hmm. You know, the fruit tends to be underripe, and imagine like an underripe apple; it's more tart. It's not as fruity and round and juicy. Right. Um, you know, and we would you know, taste that. And I would say, dang, that's tart. How do you make that go away? And they'd be, they would be saying, well, that's what we're working on. Mm -hmm. We got to get the mm -hmm. fruit riper. We got to um, you know, we got to find the right grapes that will grow here, that will get ripe enough that we can work and do things with them right because that's a whole nother tangent in that uh, right uh, your grapes are, are region dependent in terms of in climate dependent yes, on what you can grow where very much also one of the things that i remember from that time was that um some of the winemakers and the uh, the wineries were uh, very early in their stages of development yes i mean i i can re remember one place we went and you know we were sloshing around in some basement someplace that had right. flooded with, uh, with uh, the, the, trying to help the guy save they, his barrels. They hadn't, they hadn't sorted, he hadn't sorted out his drainage, much less what was going on in the barrels, you know, or, you know, that's like a business facilities issue. So, so that's a whole nother part too, you know, five, you know, years of learning how to make wine, years of learning how to be in the wine business and how to be in business, whatever. It was just a lot of, um, um, and, and because of that, I um, was not super focused on writing about the, you know, this um, strange, exotic, off-putting, a lot of these wines. I was more interested in where they were going to go. And, um, you know, so I wasn't tempted to write a long, like, sonnet on a strange, semi-failed experiment. So in some ways, since I couldn't write about the, this wine as a product, I wrote about the people. I wrote about the drinking of it, the tasting mm. of it, the, the characters, the cooking with it. The They're people. all characters. You have to write. Is, is there anyone who is? Is there any winemaker there around in the world? I have certainly have not met one. Maybe okay. you have. Who isn't what what some might refer to as a character? Oh yeah, that's like that's in, in many ways that's putting it mildly. <laughs> it's a prerequisite. Um, and then the weird, and then the weird opportunities. Um, um, years ago, there was a winery down in Raynham called Via della Chiesa, mm -hmm. and a shipment of the planet's most expensive French wine um, 
had got, had been shipped and had got frozen mm -hmm. and ruined. And so the insurance company paid out, you know, the claim for the damage to the wine, but then they needed to destroy the wine, but they couldn't just like bring in a steamroller and like smash it at the airport, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so they contacted this winery and they said, Hey, we're going to bring like several hundred cases of wine. Do you have a pallet where we can, you know, destroy it? And they were like, sure. You know, they paid them to do it and everything. Right. But for a few weeks af after they delivered the hundreds of cases of wine, but before the steamroller arrived, <laughs> yes, you know, we would go down there and pick through these, you know, you know, you know, a, a, a five hundred dollar bottle of wine that had been frozen and the cork was now sort of like poked out mm -hmm. at the top, you know, that's still going to be an interesting wine. <laughs> right to taste and to drink and we pull and we pulled i'm sure the statute of limitations is, has um, <laughs> um expired on this so i can tell the, i can tell the story to the planet <clears throat> i mean we pulled thousands and thousands of dollars of these famous famous collectible french bordeaux and and other other french reds out of there uh, you know like a bunch of it was completely trashed you know the the, the it had frozen and the corks had popped out completely Mm -hmm. And you know, the wine was just lost. Uh, but there were some that were only, you know, you know, a $500, $500 bottle of wine that's only half ruined. That's probably still going to taste pretty good. <laughs> well, and one of the things I was going to say, I suspect that it was helpful for you because you were uh, more or less a novice uh, in, mm -hmm. in wine uh, to be hanging around with these new uh, wine growers, wine wineries, all these people that were trying, you know, so you were, you didn't, you, I hate to say it, but it's like, you kind of didn't know any better. Well, well, we were in the, we were in the same place. Right. You know, I, I was figuring out how this worked and what all of these different moving parts did. And, you know, so were, so were they, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of times what will happen to um, experts in a, in a field um, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson probably doesn't sit around spending a lot of time thinking about what makes the sky blue, right? Like, <laughs> yes, yeah. like he knows that inside out and, and what makes the sky blue is actually a really interesting, interesting thing, mm -hmm. but, but he's moved on to like much more deeper, more elaborate, more complex, interesting things. These winemakers, I, I was, I was asking, Hey, what makes the sky blue? And these winemakers were saying, yeah, we're working on that. We're, we're, yeah, we're, we're just figuring yeah. out you know, what makes red wine red and some wine is more red and some wine is less red. And they're like, yeah, that's what we're working on. Mm. Right. How much skin contact, how long to let the skins ferment with the juice. Last year we did it too long. This year we didn't do it long enough. You know, next year we're going to like go halfway. And then the year after that, go halfway the other way. You know, again, it takes it takes years to figure this kind of thing out from, um, um, you know, you know, trial and error or or even organized experimentation. So from here, you, I would say, moved on. We could talk about the, mm -hmm. the creation and uh, uh, execution, <laughs> the yeah. creation and the and the teaching of the Boston Wine School. How did this uh, I mean, this, this also seemed to be a. a a combination of uh, uh, you know, 
I hate to say good luck because you have to be prepared for uh, uh, any situation, but you certainly sure. had had a lot of uh, a lot of opportunity to do something with the Boston Wine School at the time that everything uh, came together. Well, and it was the same sort of, you know, it was a little, there, there was some coincidence, there was some serendipity there. Mm -hmm. A friend of mine worked for um, Brookline Adult and Community Education, right? Their mm -hmm. adult ed wing of their educational system um, in Brookline where I live. Um, and she called me up one day and she said, hey, have you ever thought about teaching um, a wine class? And I had, I had thought about that because I had attended a few different like tasting seminars and wine classes, and um, they were just terrible. Um, you know, just, you know, boring. And, you know, the teachers were totally unrelated. The students, teachers had no idea that the students had no idea what they were talking about. It was, it was just, it was just the, the worst pedagogical experience imaginable. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't understand why, I didn't understand how something so interesting could be so, be, like taught and presented so so bad so badly i don't know how you screw that up mm -hmm. um anyway so i <laughs> so well, i had to think so i had to think i had to think certainly that i could do better than that um, well, and so much of that is is attitude right um yeah which is also part of the boston wine school brand right um some people like that um so and she said, "Well, have you ever thought about teaching a class?" And I said, "You know, it's funny. I I, I have been thinking a little bit that 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 I would could teach a class." And she said, "That's so great. Um, how is Thursday for you?" Because the, <laughs> the guy I had teaching, so whoever was teaching the wines of the Pacific Northwest, this is Monday, and whoever was teaching the wines of the Pacific Northwest Thursday, this guy couldn't do it anymore, and she had people all signed up and was ready to go. Um, you know, as long as I didn't like. You know, set myself on fire. There was really no way I could fail. Mm -hmm. You know, as long as I just you know kept kept the boat from capsizing, you know they were going to be grateful. Um, <laughs> and it was uh, and it was a, a one day, two hour class overview of um, um, and and co coincidentally enough, not long before then, mm -hmm. I had been um, d uh, doing another sales meeting um, in Seattle. Mm -hmm. And I had and I had been exposed for the first time and, and no one knew on the East Coast that Washington, Oregon, you know, this is again, this is 91 or 92. No one's really paying any attention to that part of the wine world. I had more or less just been out there. So um, so I said, yeah, let's let's I'll do that. And um, it was very much like the writing. It was very much, you know, again, um, you know, Aristotle said that um, rhetoric is the final step of reason. That, that if, you, if you figure something out, you have to be able to put it into words. That's your final step. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's the writing process. And then in the teaching process, it's sort of it's sort of on the fly because people are asking you questions. People are saying, hey, you know, how, how's this related to that? And you know, there's all this reasoning going on and all of this people, people are having experiences of this wine, they're sharing them, you know, um, linguistically, they're expressing themselves. There's all of this reason going on. Um, and, and one of the things we, one of the things we know about wine, uh, you know, different alcoholic beverages get you intoxicated in different ways. 
different, different styles. It's you know? true. I mean, tequila is all of those, um, you know, fire hallucinations. And, and nothing mellows you out like a bourbon. <laughs> Am I right? That's Well, that's true. Bourbon, yes. Moonshine <laughs> is people punch, which is, this, which is the same thing <laughs> except for barrel aging. But moonshine <laughs> is a very violent intoxication. <laughs> Even people who love each other start punching each other in the head. Um, and, and wine, the intoxication of wine is verbal. Mm -hmm. people talk and people people start talking about the wine they start talking about themselves they start talking in, about in vino other. veritas in vino veritas that's what that's what it doesn't just mean there's truth in wine it means the truth comes out of me right you speak the truth some wine in me mm -hmm. um so it's very verbal it's very linguistic there's you know people are people are people have something to say but can't quite put their finger on exactly what's the right word to express what they're tasting and thinking and feeling and mm -hmm. It's fantastic. People like, like I'm I'm learning more than I'm teaching in this mm -hmm. class right. from these people, just from their just from their questions that they were asking and the, the associations they were making that I had never that I had never made. And and this led you ultimately down the road to uh, to creating the, the Boston Wine School. Yes. Uh, and yes. and you had that great space in the, in yeah. Brookline that was all set up that. Yep. Uh, Right, right downstairs from one of the finest wine shops that the Boston area has ever known, Brookline Liquor Mart, and a wine expert uh, in in yeah, it was a great situation. I mean, right. we had a we had a fantastic supplier, mm -hmm. you know, right. right upstairs, and um, I and they to... had great tastings as well. Uh, oh, if we can take a little brief tangent mm, again sure. here, um, which so one of one of the most embarrassing things that I ever experienced. Uh, in, uh, in I know what I know what you're going to say. Good. It was, no. was a particular wine tasting there. You want to you want to share the that story? But... Yeah. It, so it was. So it was. A I felt so badly. I felt it wasn't. I, we weren't embarrassed, but it was a one of those situations where you're where you're exposed to. It was. It was a tasting of um, red Burgundy, right? Which is French Pinot. Which is French Pinot Noir. And, you know, there were a bunch of different like current vintages, you know, stuff that they were selling now. But then they also had a bottle of 1929 red burgundy. It was, mm -hmm. it was, it was um, technically it was a, it was a Mercury, mm -hmm. from the town of Mercury named after the, the, um, you know, Roman God Mercury. And so this was in 1929, and this was in, you know, 1995 or something. So this was an ancient, ancient wine. So this, I got this, this, and this wine is priceless, 1929, price, right. priceless. They're just, they, you, they, you, you couldn't buy it, you couldn't sell it. There's no dollar figure on it. And they're handing it out in little itty bitty, teeny tiny, seemed like a thimble, right? It was just like, <laughs> like half an ounce, like the tiniest little thing. And, you know, people are reaching over each other. You know, there's the tasting table. And there's a couple of lines of people and people behind the table. People are reaching over each other. And um, uh, the salesperson's name, his name was, his name, his name was Clifton. Um, and Clifton handed a little thimble of this wine to someone. And um, they, they fumbled the handoff mm -hmm. and, you know, dropped the wine right <laughs> on the table. 
and on the uh, white tablecloth it just on is... the white tablecloth in front of everybody and someone behind, like behind us as i recall it was like behind us and slightly to my right right said <laughs> just just loud enough for everyone to hear well there goes 50 bucks <laughs> <laughs> and then, at which point at which, at which point clifton I, I think i think he went back in the loading dock and had a cry he was I mean, a very meek mild uh, individual who then did he go on to be uh to to the a priest or something or yes, a monk yes he did actually yes he he um you know he he replaced you know the industry of vice for the industry of virtues i guess <laughs> um yeah he went he did go on he went on to 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 study and become a catholic priest now but, with yeah, the... and he was chagrined and he just like fled from the floor and it was just it's like it was like chapter 12 in um why they hate us <laughs> the anthology of like white people, of white people hate wine people it's that kind of well, i think instead of wine people don't you have to say why people hate enologists <laughs> Well, enologists are people who study wine. I know. It's because the, that's know, the yeah, snobby term, you, right? For you know, enophiles. Enophiles. Yeah, which which you could pronounce that, like some classic um, uh, Latin pronunciations oh. would pronounce that, weenophiles. We know, and that, that's appropriate. Which is not far from weenie, which I think, <laughs> is really where we're, I think is really where we're headed with this linguistically. <laughs> so the Boston Wine School, you, you had... Uh, you know, uh, terrific classes and uh, mm -hmm. and the wonderful experiences. You partnered yeah. with different caterers and and had a, a, a terrific. Uh, and it also led to and and, you, and then you did a, this kind of brought you to a lot of to starting to do wine tours with groups. Yes. What yes. was that like? Well, but so, you still and you still are, I should say, yes. you've got a, a one coming right up. Yeah, we did. So so two years ago, we did Boston Wine School in Tuscany. Mm -hmm. which was fantastic i mean there there is there is nothing that compares with you know tasting learning studying smelling feeling wine like right there you know where where it's made in in its environment so you know you're you're tasting wine in tuscany that grew up in tuscany surrounded by tuscany it's 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 like you know, it's 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 like a, a multiplying force of um, you know of the locality, the local grapes, the local wine, the local food. It's just it's just um it's it, it's the it's the best way to learn and experience wine, wine culture, and wine people. You know, um, one so story, if I can share, just uh, mm. that is is parallel to this. When I was young, I was a young teenager uh, visiting Ireland with my family. Um, we toured the Guinness factory, mm -hmm. and uh, and I, and and I was I'd never had beer before or anything. I barely I'd had a little some wine, but and and after spending an afternoon smelling everything and mm -hmm. experiencing it all and just being in, I just remember it as a as a kind of a humid warm steamy place Wet. at the end i was given a, a little plastic cup with guinness stout as you know whatever a 14 year old right. and i tasted it and i loved it and it just because i was so connected to the experience of the process and all of the smells i had already been prepared right going to wine country has got to be a lot like that 
Yeah, it, it's, it's, I mean, it's very similar. I mean, you're already, you're, you're primed, you're primed physically, you know, you're, you're about to taste the oak that you were smelling, right, right in right. the barrel room for a half hour, a half hour ago. And now that oak is going to be present in the wine. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one of the, th one of the things that was interesting and in, um, that came up in Tuscany was that one of the people who was on the trip was from California and turned out only had experience with California wines. Hmm. Wow, that's and, and it had some French wine, it had some Italian wine, maybe it had some Spanish wine, but overwhelmingly was a California wine style person. Hmm. And so these these wines of Italy were, were completely, I mean, totally different in, in style from what he was used to. And as he was adjusting and saying and saying, whoa, what's going on here? This is different from this is so vastly different from the wines that I have all the time in my life. What's going on here? Right. It wasn't just it wasn't just a wasn't just a, um, you know, a, a, this this experience, you know, this bottle that sort of came out of left field that was mm -hmm. hard to explain he was tasting in the wine stuff he was smelling in the vineyards he, you know he was having the wine with the the food the local food that had grown up side by side with the wine for for centuries mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well we spend the whole morning you know trudging through the dirt and the mud with these <laughs> two two semi-insane dogs looking for <laughs> truffles you know <laughs> crazy dogs and half mad <laughs> Half mad truffle hunter, right? Um, you know, sm smelling this guy's hand. You know, this guy turns around. He's like, "Oh, smell this." You know, I mean, I smelled this guy's hands like eight times. That doesn't happen a lot, you know. Right. But there was that whole thing, and then back to the house, and then eating those truffles mm. with wine. Yeah, was was all this very integrated? You know, all five of your senses were activated. You know, he, he understood that California wines, so rich, so ripe, so fruity, so, so, so surfing, so downhill snow skiing, so, you know, right, so Tahoe, big. Down, downhill snow skiing. big wines, shorts, big California wines. Big hair, you know, <laughs> big hair, little, little bathing suits, you know, whereas these are, you know, country wines. These mm -hmm. are wines that are from a farm. You, you smell the farm. You don't, you, it's not, you don't smell um, suntan lotion. Right, it's the farm and and the place where they come from, and mm -hmm. and and it was easy for him to understand, much easier for him to understand and put into context for himself, than to just open six bottles of wine in front of him, right, right, in California, out of context. From from the context is what's important here, and then try to put that into context, right. <laughs> It, it couldn't have happened for him in a week. Right. And it happened for him in a day in Tuscany because he started to get it right away. So the, it seems to me that the furthest your wine travels have taken you, of course, would be China. China, Australia, New Zealand. Yeah. So you know, Australia, New Zealand is one tact. And then China, you know, what what uh, what wine is like in experience through the eyes of a completely different culture. Oh, oh yeah. Well, I mean, um, so I mentioned before the first wine class I taught, I've learned a hundred times more than I taught. <laughs> right. I felt, I felt the same way when I was in China. 
Um, first of all, um, here are people who here are people in class who speak English, but English is not their first language. So I'm having to I'm having to think about how to say things that are meaningful in a way that will that they that people will be able to take it in. I imagine you have to stay away from idioms and idiomatic speaking. Idiom idiomatic expressions, you know, the, the the horse getting out of the barn, like that doesn't mean, you know, that doesn't, <laughs> that's, that doesn't, that doesn't, not only does that not mean anything, it's, it just puts a distance between where you are and, and where you're going. One of the first things that I learned is that um, um, traditionally, stereotypically, and, and, and truly, um, a lot of Chinese uh, drinking culture is is very fast drinking heavy drinking bottoms up shots kind style. of like college students sort of a thing very very much mm. very much mm. um and you know what we're doing in class is we're saying hey slow down look at the wine smell the wine let's talk about the wine taste the wine takes it a second time what happens you know we're we're all about extending the experience over the dimension of time you know so that you can get more mm -hmm. out of right. it and when I, and when i would say that my chinese audiences would would literally say to me hey have you met us <laughs> we don't we don't do that okay so no <laughs> and 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 it was and it was tough it was tough it took me a long time until I think my second, probably my second or third uh, teaching tour that I did there, um, I actually met a winemaker who was a rice winemaker. Um, and he also, one of, one of his hobbies was um, foraging for tea. To the mm. wild tea, like growing up in the hills, you know, wow. people forage for mushrooms or whatever. He had he had a couple of friends, uh, and one guy had a tea shop, mm. uh, which was just sold tea and did tea tasting classes. And he t took me to, um, and and this is an entire separate this entire separate story of how this tea class blew my mind. Right, I bet it changed my whole tea life completely. But one of the things that, you know, happened in this tea class mm -hmm. was um, was a long tradition of, you know, there's the color of the first cup that we comprehend. Mm -hmm. And then comes the color of the second cup. And we talk about how the tea has changed. Right, it's the same tea, it's the same water, but the first cup is going to be much lighter. Maybe it's going to be fruitier flavors. The second cup is going to be darker. It's going to be maybe more more earthy, more leafy than the first cup. Mm -hmm. So there's so and and you know um, and when we talk about how the tea has changed, we talk about ourselves. We talk about what it was like to taste the first cup versus what it was like to taste the second cup. Hmm. And and how how did I feel about it? how did that make me feel? Wow, you know, going from this to ultimately a place of psychological perfection, where hmm. you're digging the whole totality of the aroma, the color, the temperature, the texture. You know, tea has uh, tea, tea has texture too. 
And yeah. and how did this influence you in teaching the well, wine classes? So so the next day when I taught the class, instead of talking about slowing down, and 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 you know I realized that what I was saying to people essentially was, look, you're doing this wrong. You're doing this wrong. You're doing this too fast. You're doing it wrong, people. Mm. You know, this is like, and I, this is what I was feeling. I realized that's what I was um, communicating. So the next day at the beginning of class, I said, I had such an interesting experience yesterday. At a, I, you know, I, it's good for me to take classes too, right? Mm -hmm. I took a tea <laughs> class. And guess what I learned? I learned that there's this lot. And then it, just this, it, here's what I learned. This long tradition of really appreciating the dimension, the time between the first cup and the second cup, the color, the aroma, the flavor, and the time that we give to tea in order to achieve this, again, this psychological perfection, which doesn't always happen, but that's where you're, that's what you're shooting for every time. And I said, so now we do this with tea. You know, we know how to do this with tea. We already do it. Been doing it for thousands of years. We're not going to do anything you've never done before. We're going to taste wine now the way we taste tea. We're going to do something different with wine. We're not going to shoot it this time. We're going to approach it. And, and you can do this. You already know how. Must have been fascinating to, because you not only taught wine classes, uh, you, you sort of established uh, uh, other teachers who could who could follow in in your yes. uh, teaching class in teaching yes. wine. Yes, yes, and and just that you know, and again that, and just seeing people going from with the, with a basically the same information, but getting them oriented and and and. You know, people people don't like it when you tell them they're doing it wrong. <laughs> oh, you think? <laughs> and and you know, it just took so much pressure off because they said to themselves, "Oh, I can I can do. I don't normally do this with wine, but I can I can I can do this because I do this all the time." Not a problem. Or you related to a to a to a common experience because you had an experience that they understood. Exactly. Exactly. And, and this is the same thing that we do in all of our wine classes. Most, most of, I feel like most of the wine education that I do is people looking at me going, okay, what am I supposed to be, what am I supposed to be smelling? <laughs> I'm like, come on now, come on now, you can do this. I believe in you. Okay. You, you, you know what you're smelling. Come on. You know, you know, I'm not always going to be here. Okay. You're going to have to be able to know what you're smelling on your own you can do this well and that it's smell okay other, smell it's, other things but it's okay <laughs> if what they smell is like a blueberry pop tart you know yes. the, the, what they smell does it it, it's, it has to do with what they're familiar with and what they're rather than uh you know the you know the right answer well it give me like give me the most absurd esoteric you know, taste well, profile that you can come up with. Oh, you know, I, well, I just I, I just remember one time I was at a tasting and and when I held my glass across the table to get a little taste, the person pouring looks at me and goes, uh, they think you'll find some hints of hamster cage. <laughs> hamster cage. <laughs> mm. Maybe he meant cedar. But I was like, I was like, hamster urine? Come on. First of all, what's that smell like? 
I don't, I don't, I don't know that I'm going to recognize it, but, but look what you've done. <laughs> what else could I smell now? So, um, so you know, to, to kind of wrap things up, hmm. one of the things that I think is um, that I've always been impressed with in terms of your approach is um, how accessible and uh, and not snobby your view is about wine and wine teaching. Could you talk a little bit about your your philosophy and how you how and why you I, you, you developed it? Well, I you know I, part part of what you said earlier, which I had not really thought about before, is when I started learning and writing about wine, I was hanging out with people who were also learning about making wine, learning about selling wine. We were all at the beginning of our different processes, right? Their journeys just from, you know, constantly being exposed to um, wine lovers, some hardcore long-term wine lovers, some, you know, you know, we get people come in the wine class and they start smelling wine. The other, the other day, a, a woman actually said that it was the first time in her life that she had ever smelled anything on purpose. <laughs> so I've, I've never, I've never lost my memory of what it was like to learn that for the first time. You know, not not to not to be too pompous and unbearable about it, but wine is art too. And when you see a piece of art, when you experience a piece of art, sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't, sometimes it happens a lot or very little. You should not be exactly the same person as you were before you saw it. Great art changes you, and in a kind of a smaller way, and you know, much less important way. That's what happens in wine class. That's what happens when people taste wine. That's what happens when people put it together with food. They're, they're just, they're just never exactly the same again. And um, that's why we're here. Oh. <laughs> very, very dramatic uh, yeah. punctuation there. John, this has been great. I, I <laughs> love talking with you as always. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks okay. for having me. We'll see you later. Do it again anytime. Okay. Bye. Thanks, John, for a fun and interesting interview. And thank you all for listening. And we'll see you next time on Booty Time.